Welcome to the Beyond HAE podcast. You're listening to the stories of people affected by hereditary angioedema, an ultra-rare genetic condition. On this podcast series, you will hear from people with HAE, their family members, and their friends who gather around, open up, and share their stories. We would like to thank Takeda and BioChrist for sponsoring this episode. We want to give a huge thank you to the U.S. Hereditary Angioedema Association for supporting this youth-produced podcast. We hope today's story impacts you. Let's meet our host for today. All right, so hello, everyone, and I will be the host of our fifth episode for our Digging Deeper podcast series. And I'm honored to say I personally know our guest today, Miss Natalie Metzger, who is the current Vice President of Production and Development for Vanishing Angle. And she's also a very important director, writer, and producer who's won many awards and has many films. You can see some in the back there today. We have Thunder Rolled, Wearables Within, and Green Grass. And the most important one I'd like to speak on today is one that really made such a substantial impact on our rare disease community, and especially HAE, and something I was also blessed to be a part of. And that is her documentary, Special Blood. So I'd like to start off by, for people who don't know, I'm sure many people in the HAE community do, but for those who don't, could you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your background as an HAE patient as well? Sure. Yeah. So um, I was diagnosed with HAE when I turned 17. Um, it had run in my family. So my dad had it, my grandmother had it, my aunt and uncle had it. So I was aware of this thing, but um, you know, there was a lot of misinformation at that time. And so my dad was told that he couldn't pass it on, that it could only be passed on by women, which isn't true. But um, so he wasn't really kind of keeping an eye out for it with me. And so looking back, I think I started showing symptoms like probably around age like 10, 12, but really didn't have a, a really bad attack until I was 17. And that was bad enough to send me into the hospital where then I got diagnosed. Um, and that was right before going off to college. <laughs> and I uh, headed off to college. You know, this was before there were any treatments or anything. So it was just kind of like keep an eye on this thing and, you know, try not to, you know, get stressed or <laughs> things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, in college, you know, I ended up being in and out of the uh, ER quite a bit um, and uh, started a bunch of clinical trials, um, met an amazing doctor who was like really familiar with HE, which was again, so rare at that time. I think it is still rare to find a doctor that actually is familiar with it and knows it, but that was awesome. And um and then when I came out to California to go to grad school, it was uh, then that I started um, making films and also really felt like I wanted to make a documentary about this. Mm -hmm. So what exactly drove you? Was it the obstacles that you faced with HA and sort of like the issues you've seen with being underrepresented, especially in regards to healthcare, or was it more of your personal issue? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I definitely had some experiences when I was in college that drove me to really want to try to create some kind of change. Um, and one of them was I, you know, went into the ER. I, um, you know, was being seen by my doctor. I started having a really bad attack that she was like, I am not, you know, there, like there's nothing I can do for you right now. Um, and so you need to go to the ER. I went to the ER and the ER doctor started arguing with me about what I had. And I was having an abdominal attack at the time. And for people that are familiar with abdominal attacks, 
you know, like that, like you, you kind of just want to be curled up. You don't want to stretch out. You're in a lot of pain. And, um, I was told that I didn't, I wasn't having an HA attack that I had appendicitis and they made me stand up for, um, an x-ray, an x-ray that I didn't need, um, standing up, which was like true torture and like really stretching out. Um, and so that was, um, really hard for me. And I had to actually get my doctor to come in at like 3 AM into the hospital to like tell the ER doctor, like, no, she has this thing. Like I'm treating her for it. I know what this is. Like, these are the things that you can do to like help minimize the, you know, the pain and like, and, and the nausea, but like, there wasn't a lot to do other than just like, try to, you know, keep me as comfortable as possible. So um, that was kind of shocking to me of having someone just like really like tell me that my disease didn't exist. Um, and just clearly like the awareness was so low that it wasn't really even on that doctor's radar. Um, and I subsequently had like, you know, a few other doctor interactions that were like that. But luckily I found some amazing doctors that are much more familiar with it. But um, but so that was kind of an eye-opening thing for me. And then the other thing was I was in and out of the hospital so much that uh, my I had a teacher that pulled me to the side and said, listen, um, I don't think you can pursue. I was double majoring in theater and dance at the time and minoring in English. And she was like, I really don't think you should be doing this double major. I really don't think you should be pursuing this. It's um, it just seems like it's a lot on your body. And, um, and uh, it feels like you should maybe like switch past now so that you, you know, um, and I was so shocked by that. Um, and I am not one to like uh, step down from a challenge. Um, and if you tell me no, it'll probably just make me like try to push for something harder. So um, I ended up uh, graduating in three years, the double major and a minor and graduated Phi Beta Kappa and in the top of my class um, and summa cum laude. But it was just like one of those things that was like, oh, people don't think I can handle it. People don't think I can, you know, do things. And I don't want to be thought of as this like, you know, victim or this patient. And, um, and when I talked to doctors that were familiar with HAE, they were the ones that were more empowering. And when I talked to other patients, and that was the coolest thing, getting to meet other patients at conferences and hear their stories. And they were so similar to mine and to my family's and, um, and getting to feel that universality made me feel so excited and be like, oh no, other people are doing awesome things. Like I can continue doing these things and I have the support of this community. Um, so yeah, I feel like the, like those were the things that kind of made me be like, there needs to be something more about this so that, you know, I just like wanted to hand a movie to this ER doctor and just be like, just like watch this and then you'll understand. Cause you know, a lot of them only get a little paragraph or sentence in their textbook and that's their whole exposure to HAE. Exactly. And I think your story serves as like inspiration for obviously several different reasons. I mean, the professor in itself is a crazy situation, uh, especially like your response to it. I think that's what's so great about your story. I mean, the fact that you actually made a tool that not only is facilitated and used in like modern day healthcare facilities, but it also helps patients. I mean, a lot of us have very similar stories, like you said before, the misdiagnosis that's mentioned in it. And it's the pain that we suffer because of misdiagnosis. And a lot of the arguments that we don't need to have that we have with healthcare professionals is like, why? So I definitely think the film is such like an essential tool for us as patients and also playing relatability, but also it's easier for access and just makes it so much easier to understand. So I think we're all extremely grateful for that. And I think it's such a good tool 
So I, once again, I had to give you credit for that and props for that. And um, especially about your story, I have like specific, what were the major challenges you faced in your diagnosis alone outside of it being so long? But also like, how do you see HA now? Clearly you moved beyond it in terms of, you said earlier, you don't wanna be seen as a miserable patient or things like that. I'm paraphrasing in a sense. But I think, um, could you touch on that, what it is to live beyond HA for you and what that means? Yeah, um, so in to, to your first question, I think, I, knowing that my family had this disease, it, it shouldn't have taken so long to get a diagnosis. Um, and, but, you know, I mean, I know people who have gone 40 years without a diagnosis. It's, it's kind of shocking. Um, but I think, you know, there, there are tough elements of having a genetic disorder where there's, you know, a lot of sometimes guilt from the parent side of like passing something on. And so I think there was like a little bit of, you know, denial of, you know, like maybe like they would see me have a really bad stomach ache or something and just be like, oh, it must be these other things. I remember like having stomach issues when I was in middle school and even a little bit in elementary school. And like I got brought to, you know, these different doctors, these like GI doctors and it didn't, you know, it wasn't on the radar of like, oh, we should be looking out for this thing that there's a genetic history for. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that that also was related to the misinformation where like my dad had been told he couldn't pass it on. So like it was like, OK, well, that's not an option. And um, and so I think uh, I hope the diagnosis process is getting better and, I, and, it, and it does seem to be. Um, but yeah, it actually took like a like a long time and looking back i was like oh yeah i had these like little mini attacks leading up to um that that one big one when i was you know 17 and i was just months away from graduating high school and heading off to college and um was like oh i'm gonna go into college with this whole whole new thing <laughs> attached to me um that i need to figure out you know what like what that is but um but in terms of living beyond HAE, that's that's been something that I am so grateful for all the work that the HAA has done um, to help bring research and treatments to our disease because we are so lucky to have so many different treatments available to us um, and more in the works and being researched that you know we're kind of at a place where you couldn't forget that you had HAE if you're, you know, on the preventatives and got it all taken care of. And that's where I feel like I'm, I'm at now where it's not something that's something I think about regularly. It's not on my radar where before I feel like I couldn't even, I would go to sleep and be worried about swelling in my throat overnight, you know, and every single thing was like, Oh, is this an attack? And I was always on edge. And there is this sense of, um, it actually, when I was first diagnosed, it actually led to me having, uh, getting diagnosed with an anxiety disorder because I was I was feeling so anxious about this thing that could potentially kill me, and um, and now I don't I don't have that anymore. Like I have I like can trust in the medications, and that is huge. And also I I feel now that I have a healthcare provider that knows about it and is familiar with it, and I have all these resources that I can go to with the patient community that I, it's not, it's not something that, you know, weighs on me. And it's also something where, you know, it was, I had questioned whether I was going to start a family. Um, and, you know, specifically with my genes, I was like, well, maybe, you know, I'll 
do like a surrogate with like my partner's genes or, you know, something like that, where, you know, like, I don't want to continue on this thing. And I'm now uh, eight months pregnant <laughs> with my first child. And, um, and it's, uh, it's not, it's not on my radar. It's like, it's like, cool. If he has it, it's something that, you know, we can bond over. I can show him special blood and, you know, he'll learn all about it. If he doesn't have it, fine, great. But like either way, it's not this thing that um, that used to feel like it would be um, this like stamp, this thing that uh, was an identifier. And now it's just like, oh, cool. Just like, so, like something else to just ch check off the thing and make sure he has the right treatments and good to go. And that's a really kind of amazing place to be when just, you know, 10 years ago, it was a different place. Exactly. I think it's amazing to see how far we've come along. And I think a major point of that also has to do with your work as well, but especially research and how we have access to therapies now. I think that was almost way to my next question as well. Congratulations once again. But also, um, you said that going on, to you don't really think about HAE every day. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that's a, almost a blessing in a sense that we actually have enough care. We have enough preventative measures to do that. So it's, um, you said it's not really that big of a concern. And if he has it, it is, I've got such a great mindset to have. But um, how was the decision coming up to it? It really wasn't a big deal for you about um, having a child and with regards to fear or anxiety about HA? Yeah, I think, you know, um, even just, just like five years ago, I think I, you know, it would have still been like a question. I don't think it would have been as, as big of a deal as it was when I was, you know, in, in grad school and being like, there, like, there's no way I could, you know, raise a child with this and also deal with my own, you know, and, but now, um, you know, each, each year, every, like the therapies get better, there's more awareness. And so it, it just feels like, you know, it's such a great time to feel like I can have a child and, and not, and not be concerned about it. I just actually had an, an appointment with my doctor, Mark, Mark Rydell. And, you know, and he, he was like, great. Yeah. This is the research we, you know, we have on pregnancy, he, like here are the things to be mindful of. And it was like, it was actually less intense than I thought it was going to be where it's like, okay, well, during childbirth, do I need to have this, this, and this. And it's, it's actually just like really straightforward now. And he's like, yeah, like your OB can call me if, you know, if she needs, but you know, it, it's, there's, there's so much support and you have the medication on hand. And he's like, yeah, just like, you know, I can contact the hospital and just make sure they, they have what they need on hand in case you need, but like, you probably won't and it'll be fine. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's really, that's really cool. And, and, and it's also cool to see, um, in my family because my dad, you know, has never traveled, um, he traveled a lot internationally back in the day, but then he felt like he needed to be always close to his hospital, always close to his doctor that was familiar with HAE. And um, he just got into some of the new medications. Um, uh, and now he's like, he's, he, he just traveled to Germany and Italy this past year. And now they're talking about going back to England where they got married and, um, all of these amazing things. And it's just like, I, like, I see a release in him and I also see him being so excited to have a grandchild and it not to be this thing. Like it, like it hasn't even been, you know, something that we've had to discuss of like, Oh, you know, is he going to have it or not? Is it's, it's just, it's just excitement about a grandkid. And so that's, um, 
just such a blessing to have. And I think it's kind of the place where we are now. I think that's the greatest outcome. I mean, I think that's such an amazing thing, especially considering how we used to view HAE. Like now HAE is not that same oppressive force because of the advocacy, because of the research and because of our treatments and things like that. So I think that's so great. And I'm like more than happy. I don't know why. It's just such an amazing thing to hear. And like also about your, going back to your story real quick, I just want to circle back on your point. So you got diagnosed before you went to college, which is already a big step. And that's also going to be a very a time of excitement, but also a time of great stress. And like you said before, stress is usually a trigger for HA attacks. So how did you manage it? Like while you were a dual major as well, how did that happen? Yeah, I think I think that was one of the hardest things is that I got I got diagnosed like right before, just like a month or two before high school graduation. And so going off to college, I'm from Florida and I was going to college at Emory University in Atlanta. So like I wasn't I, w I was in a different state than my family. I was, you know, a 14 hour drive away. And so I was kind of on my own. And, you know, when you're sick and like confused and, and don't feel taken care of, like also being, being away from your parents was a big deal. And so I, I was really, I was really scared. And I think the anxiety of having attack was also leading to attacks. And so, I mean, the, like there were times when I drove myself to the hospital where I would pull off to the side of the road and, you know, th throw up in a pot that I brought with me and then keep going. Or I would walk to the ER, you know, like, you know, a mile or two to, to a nearby, you know, children's hospital, just cause that was the closest thing. And it's like, well, I'm having swelling in my tongue. Um, so yeah, I think it was, it was really tough. Um, but I also, because it was all like new experiences, I was like, okay, this is just kind of just like part of what this new experience is. But truly it was finding a doctor in Atlanta that kind of changed the game for me. And she, she like her focus was HAE and she was doing all these clinical trials, was like at the forefront of research. And I didn't even know that there were things, that there was research happening. You know, when I went to Atlanta, it was like, yeah, sorry, there's like no real treatment. So just deal with it. And so even just being told that there was research happening changed my mindset of like, oh, people are trying to help. And there was this kind of support that made it um, just feel a little safer. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, college was really hard and I think it's not necessarily a time uh, I mean, I look back on it and I'm like, oh, wow, I did all this stuff, but I, I kind of felt like I was just trying to power through, like just to, you know, just to get through it because, and to, to try, you know, try to get through it with as, you know, few attacks as possible. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a bizarre experience. Right. And I can understand that. I mean, I'm a college student now and it's a little bit of a different time. And it's definitely, that support is one of the most vital things you can have, especially with the distance. I mean, I think that's the biggest part of college in itself is the independence that comes from it. And that's, a, you know, it has two sides of the coin for that. And it can either be a great thing or it can be a horrible thing, depending on how you handle it. So considering that and considering you had a good hold for it for a little bit, and it's almost like, especially that doctor really helped. What advice would you give to any young college student, especially myself? This is almost a personal question. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like you're already doing this, but like, don't let anything hold you back. Like go, go for as much as you want. And, and I'll even say that beyond, beyond HEE, like of just, 
I remember wanting to do a double major and a minor. And I remember like wanting to take all these different credits because I was just interested and intrigued by all these different subjects. And I remember people being so concerned and even people that didn't know that I was in and out of the hospital, didn't know anything about like HE, just being like, oh, well, you know, like that's more than we, you you know, usually allow students to do. And like, and, you know, I think uh, you can blaze your own path and like, and don't let anyone tell you that, that you can't do to HE or anything else, honestly. Um, And, uh, and I think that's like what I, what I did like did in college, but I think really embraced more in grad school, which is just like make uh, your your life is your own, and there are so many different pathways to get to where to where you want to go, and just like um, try it all, do it all, like don't um, don't let fear hold you back. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's <laughs> that's something that I that I try to live by now, and I think struggled with in college. Right. No, I greatly appreciate that. Yeah, I think that's amazing advice as it is. It's almost like, um, don't let HAE hold you back. And I really understand that. I think our slogan, like, beyond HAE really encapsulates that. And you just sort of give us more of a different perspective about it, you know, living beyond our diagnosis. Like, that's so important. And I think you embody that as well. So I'm so happy to have this interview. And I've already asked you about the meaning and what that means to you now. But it's almost, you've told me how your view has changed regarding HAE. So I'm just wondering now, like, what are your current hopes of advocacy and things you're doing and, and events you may have coming up? Yeah, so um, it's it's very fun that uh, in in um, just a few weeks, there's going to be a rare disease week in Washington, D.C., where um, it's, uh, you know, organized by this nonprofit and, and there's uh, a bunch of support to try to um, inform Capitol Hill about the different um, struggles and things that the rare disease community needs. And it's not just specific to HAE, it's, you know, for for all, all rare diseases. Um, but I was so honored that they actually picked Special Blood as their kickoff screening. So they do a film screening to kick off the event each year. And this year they chose Special Blood. And so um, it's going to be really great to have the kind of special blood cast all come together um, and, and and be there. And I wish I could be there, but I won't be able to because I'm so pregnant. But, um, but you know, seeing everyone, you know, all grown up, you know, we filmed it, um, you know, 10 years ago, it came out eight years ago. And so uh, uh, seeing everyone, everyone is just thriving and doing so much. And that is, just makes me so happy to uh, to see the whole group, and so it's going to be so fun to have have you there, Noah, as well as Ava and um, and Kelsey, and uh, yeah, to talk about you know the impact now. But that's like just exciting that there's you know the community there that's going to be watching it might not have any exposure to HAE whatsoever, and so it's a whole new group that's going to learn about this disease, which um, is exciting. It definitely is. And I just want to testify personally as to how much the movie has impacted my life. And it's almost, it helps to see how much change advocacy can bring about. And not even just for our disease. I mean, it's the National Rare Disease Week. And we get to be there and speak about that. So that's just a huge part of me saying thank you once again to you and about how your efforts have really changed and shaped our AG community, but the world itself. And onto that hope, we see that you obviously advocate throughout many different ways. I mean, your story in itself is just an inspirational, almost testimony, basically, about how we can change our view and the scope of HAE from this depressing one and more one of like inspiration. 
So how would you describe HAE to someone who doesn't know and what it means to you? Oh, um, yeah, I mean, I usually describe it. I try to make it kind of funny. I'm, I, you know, <laughs> I usually will say that, you know, HAE uh, is I, I, I compare it to Shrek. Um, so like Fiona, the, the character in, in Shrek, she's, you know, this this you know, print like princess, this like woman, you know, that's, uh, that's totally, you know, normal. And then, um, at certain times she like swells up into this ogre <laughs> and that's kind of how I describe it as just, you know, it's this like spontaneous swelling that happens and it's kind of like Fiona and Shrek. Um, there's, uh, there's no green skin involved, but <laughs> other than that, it's, um, it can be very, very similar. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's like, it's so easy just to say it's, you know, it's a rare disease uh, that I have um, that causes swelling, but um, I'm on treatments for it and um, it doesn't really impact my, my life much. Um, and so that uh, is kind of fun to have, but yeah, you know, it'll, it'll come up every once in a while or, um, or obviously when I'm talking about special blood, um, but yeah, I don't know. Is that a good description? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it makes sense. I remember you saying it before, so I kind of want to hear it again for everybody else who doesn't know. I think it's a good like analogy because it makes it more understandable. I mean, it's hard to go into all the science of it about the factor 12, gene mutation, things like that. So it's kind of just like breaks it down. It makes it easier to conceptualize. So I think that's kind of funny too as well. And it's a good thing. And uh, basically what I wanted to go from from there is almost like HAE has changed your life in a good way. It's impacted your life negatively in the past and you've grown from that and became who you are today, partly because of it. So I think that's a great thing. But also I sort of have a question about the difference of experiences with HE. You've mentioned now that you have an informed doctor, Dr. Mark Rydell. And so now it's a little bit easier with the support you have now, but I was wondering if you can tell more about that and what the support looks like for you now and how everything is with healthcare providers and how you manage your HE now. Yeah, uh, I mean, for like, you know, first and foremost, having a doctor that really understands it, um, it has has been life changing. I feel like I can, you know, I just like I meet with him what once a year, sometimes twice a year, and I'm just like, hey, here's where things are at. And he's like, and, and, and I always ask, like, what's the newest thing on, you know, on on the forefront? What's you know, what's being researched? And I always love just like learning about um, the new things that they're discovering, um, and and all the, the 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 research that is going in to continue to make life better for HAE patients. It's just it feels so comforting to know that there's such an amazing team of people that are actively working to continue to make life better. Um, but the patient community has been such a resource for me of asking questions, like reaching out to people and being like, Hey, you've been through, you know, pregnancy and HAE. Like, what are some things I should be aware of? You know, just like, you know, personal stories, um, you know, sharing those uh, and having a resource of just like a quick question or just, you know, a little bit of support of like, you know, oh, you know, this, this thing happened and everyone's like, oh, I can relate to that, you know? And so having that is, is really um, wonderful. And it, it feels so the HA community feels so tight knit because we've all kind of gone through these similar experiences together. And it's, it was amazing to me when I first started talking to other patients, how similar our stories were, you know, like that there are these kind of things like, Oh, everyone has, you know, that like their ER story, everyone has this like di diagnosis story. And obviously there's like differences, but 
it's really interesting to to like to hear about it and i think it's like so fascinating to hear about the younger generation like you know noah for you but also for even people younger than you of just like what their experience with he is like because it's it it's a whole new landscape now and so to even like grow up without having the kind of previous uh you know wasteland of treatment and research and awareness um is it's like so exciting to see like what those patients are going to be doing um, with their lives. Uh, yeah, but I do think, you know, it's it's bonded me to people in a way that um, I don't think, you know, anything else could have. I do think like my dad and I have a special relationship because of this thing that we share. Um, and, you know, it's something that like we check in about often. And, you know, my aunt will email me like, hey, did you hear about this thing? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's um, it's, you know, obviously not like great to have a rare disease, but I also feel like I, I am grateful for the experiences that it has taught me. I think the process of making special blood was so life changing for me. Um, and uh, and it has brought me so close to so many specific, amazing people. And um, yeah, and I think like the process of making special blood, I was already making film, but there was something about the impact of how, like how hands-on like showing someone a movie and then being like, oh, I, I saw a patient like this, you know, like I, I should let my hospital know, or, you know, just patients saying, oh, I could show this to my friends and they finally understood um, or I show this to my boss and like they can understand like why I might be out sometimes. The 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 physical impact was so um it was something that showed me that that you know I can I can do a lot through film. And so uh I think it's even encouraged me to continue more into um into film and also into into things that you know have a more um social message you know it's like you know i do i do the the like the fun you know narrative features but i'm i'm always looking for something that you know has that more um social impact aspect of it yeah i think i see exactly what you mean to that like the movie was almost valuable in a sense deeper than entertainment it was something that actually would drive about and be a catalyst for change and that's what makes it so great as well i mean it's just uh the multifaceted nature of it as well. And that's something you can testify to and capitalizing on other people's stories that are very similar. Like you touched on, a lot of our stories are diagnosed later in life. My uncle was diagnosed at 30 years old. Wow. It's like, this is such a common thing and just shouldn't be. And yeah. a lot of those stories are, um, are always like a, a pleasure to hear. At the same time, it's like, goodness, why? And then uh, one of the questions we have here is about like one of those experiences. And you told us about the arguments with the ER doctors, but we were just wondering about like your worst attack and what came about after that. My worst attack. Um, my, my worst attack I would probably actually say is the one that I had to argue with the ER doctor over um, because uh, I think I was in such a stressed out state because I was by myself. Um, and, uh, and I, I didn't know how much I needed to advocate for myself. I didn't know. It was one of my first experiences in a hospital, um, where my like parents weren't with me and I was, you know, kind of on my own. And, um, 
and it was just a really it was a really bad attack that i mean i was that, like that was the one where i was i was already um you know kind of throwing up on the way to the doctor and then when the doctor was like you need to go to the hospital it was um it was just getting like so like so bad i think i ended up spending a, a day or two in the hospital actually be, you know because of it um but then i think the added stress of having to like you know having to fight for just like basic things of like don't make me stand up right now like don't give me an unnecessary x-ray like all these things um and that i would say was probably my my worst attack like not only because the symptoms were bad but also just because it felt like the system was against me um and in like a time where like i really just needed some some basic support you know uh but i'm trying to think if there are any others there were like ones that were like more scary where you know like my tongue was swelling and i'm scared it's going to go down to my throat stuff like that but it wasn't as as painful. It was it was more like um, the fear of like what could come that you know that. Right. Yeah, I think all IG patients can testify to that. Anyone who's had like a throat swell anywhere near there, that's the panic. It's like goodness, I had this quick. What do I do? How do I go about this? But yeah, I understand that. I do recall you saying that story. It's just uh, the unneeded stress and then the added stress after from the people who are supposed to alleviate. The same thing that the suffering comes from is, but I'm happy we're over the obstacle now. And now you have a much more positive view of HAE and that you have a very good management of it. And you have Dr. Rydell on your side as well. So you obviously have a good relation with your healthcare providers. So I think that's a, a great thing. And I think your evolution, your story in itself is something that I would preach to other people as just to look at and not even just for HAE patients, but also for source of inspiration for anybody. I mean, you've overcome obstacles that it preached to your perseverance. And your resilience i think that's such a great thing that all people can learn from and uh just based on the strength of your character who you are as a person i would like to ask you one of our closing questions and it's what advice would you have for a young hae patients and hae patients in general that want to pursue anything in life truly and outside of college um i mean out outside of the don't let anything hold you back. I would, um, I would add to like, to find, find the, the support system that works for you, you know, the community that works for you. And that might not be the same for everyone. You know, some people might uh, depend more heavily on their family um, or some people uh, you know, might, you know, have like a really strong friend group or, you know, ha have tapped into the patient community, but, um, having those people that you can lean on when you are in, you know, like a dark time, even if it's like once every five years, you might have a breakthrough attack or something like that. Um, just having those people that you can go to, um, outside of obviously a good healthcare provider that, um, that understands it. Um, I think is, is like really, is really, really helpful. Just having other people that know it and understand it, even if they're not HA patients themselves, um, can be something that helps share the load of it. Um, you know, even just like having a husband that, um, that know that, that knows all about it and is familiar with it. And, you know, can, can, can be a person for me of like, 
hey, is this maybe an HA tag? Do you do you want to do your like your, your medicine? Just someone else being there for me mm-hmm. makes it feel like it's not all on me to be like wondering or thinking about it. Um, and it makes it just something that I don't have to think about anymore, which I think is obviously um, the goal. Um, so yeah, find find your support network uh, and uh, don't let anything hold you back. That's amazing. Can't wear that any better myself. I think there's nothing more important than support as well. You know, that means so much to me for especially like family, the HAEA Leadership Council. We just have so many resources that really make a difference. And you were one of them. So thank you so much for everything. And that was actually my final question that I had. So I just want to say thank you so much for being on this podcast with me. And hopefully everybody can take a little bit something from your story and be inspired and go and live beyond HAE. So thank you very much, Ms. Natalie. Awesome. Thanks, Noah. The information presented, including opinions and recommendations, is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No one should act upon any information presented without first seeking medical advice from a qualified, licensed medical doctor. For assistance finding a physician, please contact an HAE advocate at 866-798-5598. The HAEA is an advocacy and research organization committed to actively engaging our community in a wide variety of grassroots activities that promote disease education and awareness. We provide personalized services to address the unique needs of people with HAE and their families which include helping them secure access to and reimbursement for modern HAE medicines. Our great success in supporting clinical research has resulted in a variety of FDA-approved therapeutic options. We work closely with expert physicians to continuously upgrade quality of life through improving diagnosis and knowledge of the disease and encouraging a tailored patient-focused use of available therapeutic options. The HAEA is product and company neutral and continues to enthusiastically support drug discovery research aimed at the next generation of HAE therapies.